Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Cod Cabin, the number one Massachusetts political podcast that you can find, sit back, relax, and enjoy with your best friend. I'm Adam Bass. Joining me, as always, is Jack Leary, Jesse Hahn, and Logan Rabe. And folks, we are now officially one week away from the Massachusetts primary. This is our Academy Awards here in Massachusetts politics land. Um, our Grammys, our Tonys, the whole EGOT even. Um, and the four of us, you know, we're going to do something a little different um, this time around. We're going to talk about three of our picks going around, sort of a top three list, sort of like what they do on ESPN, about races we're watching throughout the primary. And we'll sort of discuss them here on the COD, Kevin. So let's not waste any time. Let's start off with Jesse. So Jesse, who are your top three picks to look at this Massachusetts primary on September 6th? Ooh, Adam, that's a great question. Um, obviously, the energy in the attorney general's race really picked up in the last week. Mm. We have Elizabeth Warren, Michelle Wu dropping in um, to make their endorsements. And Kim um, Janey. And Kim Janey. She's still, she's still around after all that Boston nonsense. Um, <laughs> another race, a smaller, low-key race. Um, Ed Markey endorsed Rachel Levin Epstein in her campaign. Um, for state senate out to replace Eric Lesser in Western Massachusetts. I have no idea what the district name is. And I apologize for rest. Yes, there you go. Um, she's running against Jake Oliveira, who's obviously a state rep. Um, so that's going to be an interesting way, race to watch. Um, and obviously, um, who can forget the Secretary of State's race? It had so much promise in the beginning. We thought um, Tanisha Sullivan would really pick up that energy, maybe get no stronger than what Josh Zakem did in 2018, but you know the polling doesn't seem to be bearing that out, and you know we, we'll we'll see what happens next Tuesday. Right, you know I've been watching that race in particular, and from the polling that shows, it, it kind of looks like a weaker race than what Zakem ran back in um 2018. Uh, so much so that Bill Galvin is actually going to Twitter himself and posting every single poll percentage that comes out, showing him with an above 50 lead. It's very funny. I wish he would go the full throttle and just do the cross step since after all, he runs for elections here. Might as well do the whole the whole nine yards. And um, the thing is, is that I, I do want to actually, before we move on, let's talk about that attorney general race because it is now a two-person race between former Boston City Councilor Andrea Campbell and lawyer Shannon Lee Sreardon. Uh Originally, uh, Quentin Palfrey was in the race, but today he dropped out and endorsed Andrea Campbell, which was kind of a surprise considering all the comments he made about her uh, only a couple months ago. So let's talk about that. Uh, Jack, you, or no, Logan, you are. I am a huge Quentin Palfrey hater. Yeah. I have never trusted this guy. He is the definition of an empty suit. And, you know, these, even I'm, I'm an Andrea Campbell supporter. You know, I thought his attacks were hollow when he was against her. And I think his support is hollow now that he's with her. Um, I mean, this guy just tried to follow a, a pretty standard playbook of like aggressively court progressives by saying whatever they want to hear and then hope I can kind of parlay that into uh, into elected office. Um, you know, I, I don't like Shannon Liss Reardon, but congrats to her for uh, for ruining that plan for him. And, you know, I, I can't help but see this as a um, him spiting Liss Reardon by endorsing Campbell and B, him wanting to slither away into the good graces of like machine politics and hoping to stay relevant by endorsing, you know, uh, who's 
I hope and I think is likely to be the next attorney general. Um, but that man has no business being in electoral politics. You know, the, the stereotype is that politicians are dishonest and Paul Free, in my opinion, hits that to a T. <laughs> oh man, I have never seen you this passionate about, I, I know you're a hater of him, but this passionate, it, it, it's, I mean, you're kind of right about the good graces thing. Maura Healy just posted a, a tweet and a Facebook post saying, uh, thank you for your support, uh, Quentin. It's really, really, you know, kind of you, you're not going to be out of the woods just yet. You still got some time in Massachusetts politics. So maybe you're right on that front. Logan, you were going to say something. I noticed you're yeah. off. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I mean, similar to Jack, I mean, this the retaliation politics in this race is just, I, I haven't seen it before. Just the, the marquee endorsement of, uh, Campbell, when Shannon ran against him a couple of years ago, uh, the Wu endorsements, when, when Campbell ran against Wu, now Wu endorses uh, Liz Riordan. Uh, it's just really fascinating to see all these things of retaliation. And, and you know what's even crazier? And I realized this, you know who also supporting Campbell? Uh, Ayanna Presley, who was one of Wu's best friends on the city council. I think her best friend. So she, and I guess she... I, from what I understand in Boston politics, which is really crazy right now, um, Wu and Janie did not get along with Campbell very well. In fact, Campbell and Janie had a terrible, terrible relationship in the Boston mayoral election. She went after Janie uh, the entire election. And to me, this is the most spiteful race I have seen in Massachusetts politics in my life. And I'm only 24. I haven't seen a lot of it yet. Um, the only thing that could come close, and even that's a tough mile, is uh, the bitterness of Massachusetts 4. And even then, that's that feels like a whole other situation. Jesse, you I don't know, thoughts? man. I, I think Marky Kennedy got pretty spiteful in the last yeah. weeks when Kennedy was there's throwing been, some haymakers. Yeah, there's been some uh, brutal races pretty much every cycle, but it's it's when it's like a lower stakes statewide race like this, I feel, is when you know we really get to see those factions break down especially when they come from the same office. Yeah, this is a whole, like, this is Boston pol uh, politics seeping into, into Massachusetts politics, which can get very ugly very fast. But yes. I um, something, something I did want to note is yeah. the ridiculous effectiveness of Liz Reardon spending her money. She put $3 million into her own campaign. She spent $4.5 million on TV, cable, and radio ads. And, you know, our, our friend Steve Cozella, who's the, who, do, who does the Massing Poll, and the horse race um, podcast. Yes. Yes. Um, let's see. Miss Reardon's never heard of in June was 72%. And by this month, it was 46%. And it's probably dropping even more um, with the endorsement of Elizabeth Warren and Michelle Wu. So, mm. you know, good on her for spending her money like this. I don't know why anyone is spending this much money to become attorney general, but, you know, props to her. That's, that's an effective use of money. And, mm -hmm. and, and among people who have seen her ads, 40% of likely voters have seen her ads. That's more than Maura Healy. That's more than any other candidate. So she's clearly doing something right. Yeah, I can confirm that personally. At my house, I think I've gotten seven mailers from Liz Riordan. I've gotten three from all the other candidates combined. And I've seen her ads on TV too, more than any other candidate. She's really spending big and looks like it's working. So setting up for a really interesting uh, face off with Campbell in September. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, Logan, let's talk about your uh, top three picks. Uh, you have some very interesting ones, I think. Yeah, well, some kind of hyper-local ones to start with. Mm -hmm. um, 
over in Brookline in the 15th Norfolk district. That's where Tommy Vitolo is the incumbent and he's getting a pretty strong primary challenger in former select board member, Raul Fernandez. Uh, he's primary, being primary from the left. And Fernandez has gotten a lot of very impressive endorsements, the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Um, I saw him campaigning with Bernie Sanders a little while ago and when he was running for select board also was campaigning with AOC. Um, Vitolo on the other hand, uh, has been campaigning with Michael Dukakis. Uh, he's gotten in endorsements from, I think, the Stonewall Democrats. Uh, and I, th I heard 75% of Brookline town meeting members. So it's two, two uh, heavyweights in Brookline politics. They both raised a lot of money. Uh, and I'd still say it's probably likely Vitolo, but uh, I could see it going either way. Um, yeah, and I, I think another big endorsement to talk about there, just to briefly step away, is uh, Maura Healy uh, came out in support of Tommy Vitolo this week. So uh, there, he's really bringing in the cavalry, which I guess goes to show that he's rightly worried about this race. Yeah, and I think what helps Vitolo, too, he's very involved in Brookline politics. He sits as a member of the town meeting, and I think he hosts a show on the local news. Uh, yeah. So he's very well known, and he's doing a, a good job with outreach. Uh, going on to my next race, another local race, it's actually for governor's council. Um, Marilyn Devaney is a longtime incumbent, I think over 20 years uh, of service on the council, and she's been primaried almost every election. Uh, there's a lot of uh, incidents with her on the governor's council of uh, throwing dimes and all sorts of things. Um, whoa, this whoa, time whoa. She's, whoa, throwing dimes? Right? I mean, that's that's the least of it. I, there was a there was the dime incident where somebody, she thought somebody threw a dime at her, so she threw a dime back. It's, that's not just one thing. Apparently she threw a bag with a hairdresser in it at somebody, like, and that's just, that's just the, the beginning of it. So it's these sorts of things. She gets primaried um, almost every election. Um, she's being primaried again this time by uh, Mara Dolan. Uh, Devaney's raised almost no money. Like literally, I think she got one donor this entire election cycle. Um, and I think it's going to be close. It's always been close, uh, but I'm going to be looking for that to see uh, if she's finally going to be primaried out. And moving on from that, I think my third thing, a statewide race, uh, moving away from the local ones. Uh, I'm curious to see the Republican governor primary. Uh, I'm expecting Jeff Deal to win, uh, but just seeing how much power he has, it's going to be 55% for Deal, 60% more. Um, the Globe endorsed Doty, so uh, I'm I'm curious to see how competitive that's going to be. When did the Globe endorse Doty? I didn't see that. Uh, I, I think a couple of weeks ago. I saw it on oh. their Instagram. Oh no, kidding! I also gotta wonder. I think the impact of a Boston Globe endorsement might actually lose you votes in a Republican primary <laughs> in Massachusetts these days. I, I really don't know how uh, how supportive uh, the average Republican primary voter is of the the Globe as an institution. I mean, back in the day, they would have been way back in the day. But what, what number does Deal have to get to avoid embarrassment? He's been endorsed by Trump. Charlie Baker was forced into retirement because he ran. So, like, I, I say it's like sixty percent. What do you guys? Yeah, think? I'd say anything under sixty. That's a pretty big embarrassment. I would say anything under seventy. Honestly, I mean, that's about what he got at the convention. And while that electorate's a little more conservative 
um, you know, he has higher name recognition, even though he's lacking in funds. And I don't know. I think like the Charlie Baker versus Scott Lively or uh, Mark Fish or whatever his name is in 2014 should be the uh, should be the barometer. Mm-hmm. Well, looks like we're moving on to you, Jack. Where are your top three picks? Yeah. So Jesse and uh, Logan both stole one from me, but I brought backups. So I was going to talk about Vitolo. I was going to talk about Secretary of the Commonwealth. But I'm going to start with uh, two incumbent challengers, and then I'm going to move on to what I think has been a very under-discussed open seat so far, all state legislative. The first one is in Waltham. Uh, Heather May is challenging incumbent state rep Tom Stanley. And the thing that really gets me about this race is that I, I don't really think that Tom Stanley has drawn progressive ire in the way that a lot of other state reps and state senators uh, have been. And, you know, to be honest, uh, prior to a month and a half ago, I had no idea who Tom Stanley even was. But I think it'll be an interesting measure of how much momentum that progressives has, have maintained since they've made decent gains in 2018 and 2020. Um, I think 2020 was seen as a disappointment uh, for a lot of Democrats, uh, progressive Democrats on the state legislative level. They lost a lot of winnable races uh, in Newton, in Brighton, in uh, you know 8th Norfolk races like that. And uh, this kind of primary that could fly under the radar that has flown under the radar, I think will give us a real look at whether or not progressives in the state legislature have any real staying power. Uh, next, I wanna move on to one a little closer to home for me, uh, my state Senate district, Walter Timothy versus Kathleen Krogan Kamara. Uh, Timothy has, you know, is the exact opposite of Rep Stanley, whereas he has been primaried frequently over the past few years. You know, he is attacked as pro-life, uh, he is attacked as out of touch. He comes from a political family. And this is definitely an interesting race. Uh, Kathleen Krogan Kamara doesn't really fit the mold of his previous primary challengers in the sense that she isn't really a dyed in the wool. You know, obviously she's to his left, but not a dyed in the wool progressive. She talks a lot about her experience as a nurse and uh, her experience with inadequate uh, constituent casework as her reasons for running. She's done a decent amount of self funding, which has been the brunt of her donations. And I, I ultimately don't think that it's going to be a close race whatsoever. Uh, but again, it's always interesting to see who, you know, trots out to be the sacrificial lamb against Timothy every year. But this last one is the one that I care the most about. And it is the primary to fill uh, Senator Sonia Chang Diaz's state Senate seat. Uh, and it has become something of a clown car. You have state representatives, Nika Eligardo and Liz Miranda. Uh, Reverend Culpepper, who's formerly of Housing Urban De- and Urban Development, and former state Senator Diane Wilkerson, who held this office over a decade ago and was primaried out by Sonia Chang Diaz after she was indicted for bribery. Um, you know, you got a lot of credible candidates here, with the exception maybe of Senator Wilkerson. And, you know, in a, in a race that hasn't received a ton of statewide coverage, in a race where the vote, the winner is inevitably going to get a relatively small percentage of the vote. I I definitely think there is a few outcomes where Senator Wilkerson could come back into the state Senate. Um, I hope that's not the case, but you really have a jump ball here. And I'm, I'm kind of shocked that more people haven't been talking about it. Yeah. It's, it's one of the most crowded races in the entire primary. It's not the most crowded race. And we will talk about that just a minute, but yeah, when, when you have someone like Sonia Chang Diaz leaving and someone to fill her uh, fill her role, 
That should be a big deal, especially even though she unsuccessfully ran for governor. It's still a big deal regardless, especially for representation. Another thing I'm curious about yeah. with a lot of these local offices is how they're going to affect the statewide races through turnout. Um, I know, for example, in the Vitola race, he's in Brookline. Uh, Chris Dempsey, who's running for auditor, I believe, is based out of Brookline. So uh, I'm curious to see if there's going to be coattails. I'd imagine in Boston, maybe would that help Campbell with a competitive primary in that district? It could. Theoretically, it could, because they are close to each other and could seep in. But um, only one way to find out, I suppose. I think, I think in Brooklyn. The... Huh? Go ahead, Jess. Sorry, Jess. You know you go. I feel like that's just going to be on the margins. If you're if we're dealing with a race that's within like two to three points, maybe that'll make a difference. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going to decide this race anyhow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was more or less going to say the same thing. I don't think in Boston it'll have any noticeable effects. But you know, you have to consider that there are going to be a lot of people in Brookline who haven't been paying attention to the auditor primary, show up, see one of the candidates is from Brookline and, you know, mm -hmm. check that box off. But again, I, I don't see that doing much beyond the margin. Mm -hmm. That's, that's such a fast, I, I want to talk about the auditor primary too, right now, because yeah, like, that's such a fascinating race. Like the poll last week found 76% of voters have never heard of Diana DiZaglio and 65 have never heard of Chris Dempsey. So you're dealing with people flying blind into the voters booth and selecting a candidate. So what, what are the factors that, that are gonna go into this? Obviously, if you're from Brookline, if you're from the Merrimack Valley, you'll probably vote for Desaglio. but you know, this is gonna be a race where people are gonna decide in the parking lot with a Google search, or they're gonna see a lawn sign on the way to vote, and they're gonna vote that way. Money, it, would be, oh, go ahead, Jack. No, the, I wouldn't say the money's honestly a huge thing. They've been, I think Diana Desaglio has kind of kept a slight financial edge throughout the entire race, but it, it really has not been anything significant. But, uh, and you know, polling, the closeness and the high level of undecideds in the polling has really reflected that. Uh, I, I think this is kind of just going to be a wisdom of the crowds moment where, you know, the vast swath of the electorate that has no clue what they're talking about are probably just going to cancel each other out more or less. Uh, and it's, it's ultimately going to come down to the, the 35 or 40% of voters that, uh, of the electorate that these campaigns are able to reach. But I, I think that that's going to be especially interesting when you consider regional polarization in this race, you know, with the North Shore, with the Brookline area. But like what, what happens in the South Shore or out West where, you know, like nobody really has any yeah. idea who either of these people are. But that'll be, that'll be a case study for political scientists anyway. Indeed, I will it'll, say it'll be interesting um, to see how severe the undervote is from obviously the governor's race and then attorney general, because I, don't, I see a lot of people leaving that blank because they just don't know the candidates. Mm -hmm. I will say I have found something that we've been searching for for months, which is a policy difference between Dempsey and Desaglio. Really? Um, yes, I got an email from Desaglio criticizing Dempsey because Dempsey apparently wants to raise the gas tax. Ooh. Now, I don't think the auditor has anything to do with that. No, it but doesn't. <laughs> I, I, I think that might be an effective camp, uh, campaign uh, campaigning strategy. It, it's so interesting how this auditor's race has delved into issues that the auditor does not really have much control over, like the MBTA and other things. Um, but, but you know what? It's a great way to define yourself in a, in a world where things have become more political and more uh, charging as a whole. But with that being said, let's take a look at my pick. So 
Uh, my picks are very hyper-local. Uh, number three for my top three is uh, the Worcester Senate race to replace Harriet Chandler. Uh, this is between uh, Mayor Petty of Worcester and Robin Kennedy. Um, this has gotten a lot of coverage, and it definitely feels like a classic uh, status quo that people would say Petty is versus the outsider, and I say outsider with air quotes because she's worked the... Uh, worked in Worcester for a long time. But to me, it feels like, you know, what has the more strength? Is it the insider or the outsider? And knowing Massachusetts politics, it usually goes to the insider, but it is certainly a race to watch, especially taking over something that Harriet Chandler has been uh, running for a long time. And I know, Jack, you have some insight on this race as well, knowing Worcester politics better than most of us here. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think that what you said is too far off. I think the biggest thing that's impacting this race right now is the fact that if uh, Joe Petty does win this seat and is elected mayor er, er, and resigns um, as mayor of Worcester, uh, Republican Donna Colorio would become mayor until the next Ooh. election in 2023. Um, and, you know, Petty has kind of waved that point off, but it has been seized on uh, by his detractors, by the Worcester Working Families uh, PAC which is spent considerably in this race against Petty and, and for Kennedy. Um, but I, I definitely think that that's something to consider. Right. Uh, you know, we saw this past year, Lydia Edwards uh, elected in a state Senate special, and she briefly overlapped working um, as a city councilor and as a state senator, but, you know, resigned pretty quickly. And I, I definitely think that Joe, Joe Petty is uh, selfish, you know, for, for choosing to run for this seat, um, you know, at the end of the day, when you're a politician, it should be policy outcomes that matter the most. And I, I think that the Worcester City Council and the Worcester City government will become more conservative as a result of this. And I, I don't think, you know, in a race between two Democrats, you're going to see a huge change in the uh, state Senate unless your name is Joe Petty. So it's Petty reasons. Uh, at any rate, uh, number two, this is the most crowded race in the entire primary. Six candidates running for Essex 8th, which is contained Swampscott and Marblehead. This, has, uh, this district uh, opened up after Lori Elric was tapped to be a FEMA administrator. And this race is so interesting because it is quite literally a turf war between two towns. Um, you have three candidates from Swampscott, three candidates from Marblehead, and only a sliver of Lynn, which has no representation. This is the seaside of Lynn, by the way. And what makes this district interesting is that there's only one candidate that got a really big endorsement, and that's Tristan Smith. His father worked for the Democratic Committee, uh, Town Committee, way back in the day. And lo and behold, who endorsed him but Ed Markey? Um, this was a race I was very interested back when I worked in Lynn, and I'm still interested in how it turns out uh, when September 6th comes around. It's going to be a very tight race, in my opinion, due to just the amount of candidates and just the, the, the geographical divide. It's such a fascinating race. And as you would call a clown car of a race. Um, and number one, this is the race I'm gonna be covering the most aside from the top out ticket went on election night is of course, Bristol County Sheriff. Um, Bristol County Sheriff uh, is currently three Democrats. These are Paul Haro, the mayor of Alboro, Nick Brainer, a Fall River attorney and Somerset Police Chief, former Somerset Police Chief, George McNeil. What makes this interesting is that it kind of reminds me of MAO4. It's a bit of a South versus North divide um, where the winner could take uh, take everything by just claiming the North of Bristol County 
whereas the two uh, Southern candidates, which are uh, McNeil and Brainer, could split the difference in Fall River and Somerset. Um, obviously, there's more people in Fall River, New Bedford, all that. But if Hero can really sort of uh, claim victory all over those northern towns and uh, municipalities, he could pull it off. And being a mayor doesn't hurt his position. It's an, it's an executive position. It's a managerial position, which everyone really likes in Massachusetts. So yeah, and, and Democrats, I think, really have a real good feeling that they can take on Sheriff Hodgins for the first time in, since 2016. In fact, no, before that, because he was ran on a post in 2016. So yes, I'm really excited for that race as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, any comments on those races? I think the 8th Essex race was, <laughs> the, the Markey endorsement was really interesting. Like the other candidates came out with a statement uh, condemning his endorsement, obviously insinuating that it was linked to um, political connections between his father and then Markey. Yeah. Um, we, we, we don't know if that's true. Right. Um, but, but, you know, this just, you know, Massachusetts, man, there's just things just get ne unnecessarily petty. This is a state. So much so you're, you're a mayor. Not high. <laughs> yeah, the stakes are not high. Yeah, it can get, it can get really brutal here in Massachusetts. Uh, the blue blood can spill out on the streets, as to say. But regardless, uh, any final comments before we uh, sign off, guys? Have we talked about the lieutenant governor's primary? No, we haven't. We haven't. We haven't. Uh, let's talk about that real quick. Um, honestly, I think Driscoll might have it at the end of the day. I know Lesser has that money to spend in one week, but um, she's pulling away with it right now. Uh, she's getting more popular even into August. And come September, if, if those attack ads land on her, the ones that uh, claim she's uh, cuddling, uh, not cuddling, coddling with a Republican uh, uh, land, uh, excuse me, developer, then it could stick. But other than that, I don't know if there's enough time. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think um, not not to be disrespectful to Representative Gouvet, but I don't think she's a factor in this race anymore. 80% mm -hmm. of voters have no idea who she is. Um, name recognition of that level is not going to win you this primary. Eric Lester, to the other candidates, Eric Lester, 60, 65% don't know. Yeah. Um, Kim Driscoll, 55% don't know. So it's going to be between them. And I think it ends up going to Driscoll because um, of geography and of her role as mayor. Um, and I would also this, add this. This, this primary oh, has really flown under, I feel like it's flown under the radar, um, but, but I bet you guys will point out that this job, you don't do anything, so no. maybe that's justified. No, you don't. Yeah, I will say, I, I don't really think it's um, completely appropriate to say that like this is over just because Driscoll has a polling lead. I mean, as Jesse just pointed out, like the majority of people don't know who any of these candidates are and are undecided, you know, in all the polling that we have, a majority of voters are undecided. And we were just talking about earlier in this episode with Shannon Liss Reardon, uh, the value of just dumping a ton of money into this race. And a ton of money is what Eric Lesser has over a million dollars in the bank and, and what Kim Driscoll doesn't. So while I would agree that, that Driscoll is pretty decently favored heading into election day, you know, when you have so many undecideds that are going to be late breaking, um, you know, I, I don't think it's ridiculous to see Eric Lesser pulling this out in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with Jack. Um, I will say the only candidate I've seen an ad from was Kim Driscoll um, at Patriot Place on, in, a, in a restaurant. So mm -hmm. um, <laughs> she's 
I, I, I'm not surprised she has the most. Uh, so she has Foxborough on, on lockdown for, uh, for next Tuesday then. Got the Belichick so. vote. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, your vote counts, especially in every election. Jack, Larry, Jesse Hahn, Logan Rabe, as always, thank you for joining me. And I'm Adam Bass. You're, is, <laughs> you're listening to The Cod Cabin. Thank you and good night.